Heavenly Father, thank you for the promise of the Messiah that you have woven throughout the history of your people. Thank you for Mary and her humble willingness to join in with your plan. Lord, please give us your Holy Spirit too so that we can welcome the the Christ child in our hearts and lives this Christmas. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. (coughs) Excuse me. Sorry. Mary is the Advent person par excellence. Mary is the individual through whom God most powerfully brought to fruition his promises of a Messiah. We heard in the reading from Romans that Sylvia read that Paul said there were ancient promises that the prophets had given to God's people that a Messiah would come. And so we see in Mary and in the angel's announcement to Mary that the ancient promises of rescue and salvation are being fulfilled through Mary's child. We go right back to the very first time that humans rebelled against God in the Garden of Eden, where Adam and Eve took the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, which God had said, do not take this or you will surely die. And in Genesis chapter three, this is called uh, the, it's often called the proto gospel, but the first gospel in Genesis three, we read uh, these words where God is speaking to the serpent, who is the the symbol of Satan, the accuser, the enemy of God and of humankind. And, And God says to the serpent, Cursed is the ground because of you. Sorry, wrong verse. Um, Genesis 3, verse 14 and 15. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. Jesus was the first and only person in the history of humanity who was the offspring of only a woman. Everyone else, of course, has been born because of a father and a mother coming together, a sperm and an egg meeting. But Jesus is the only one in history who was the offspring of a woman. And God promises or predicts, foretells to the serpent, to Satan, that the offspring of the woman will be the one who will crush his head and destroy the work of Satan. So we go right back. The most ancient promise of all that God has given is that the offspring of a woman will be the one who will defeat the enemy of humanity. Then we move further forwards and we see in Genesis chapter 12 that God promises Abraham that through his offspring, through his descendants, all peoples of the world will be blessed. Let me read to you Genesis chapter 12, verse 1 to 3. The Lord had said to Abraham, go from your country, your people and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Now I could keep going and going through the Old Testament to see how God's promises of salvation that focus in on one individual person come to fulfillment. And 
Um, it has been said that the New Testament reveals what the Old Testament has already promised. There's not two separate plans that we see in, in God's plan of salvation. This is all one unified plan from before the beginning of time to save and rescue and restore and forgive people, to draw them back to himself. Thank you. However, in um, just a couple more examples from the Old Testament, like I said, we could, we could um, pile these up and it would be a very long sermon if I, if I looked at all of the promises in the Old Testament of a Messiah. God promised King David that he would have a descendant to rule on his throne forever. Now, of course, we look at that promise and we go, well, humanly speaking, that's impossible. Uh, no one lives forever. Every human being dies. How will, da- how will David possibly have a descendant uh, to, to rule on his throne forever? And then in Isaiah, the, the great vision of the, the wonderful prophet who saw so many glimpses of what God was doing and planning to do, we find these words uh, promised in Isaiah chapter 7. I myself will give you a sign, says the Lord, the virgin will conceive and will bear a son. And then in Isaiah chapter 9, we hear those great words which we hear every Christmas. To us, a child is born, to us, a son is given, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. The idea that a human being could be called Mighty God would have struck the Israelites as kind of bizarre, as unexpected. Um, God was much bigger and greater than human beings, and no human being should try to compare themselves to God. And yet the promised one to come would be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. And so here in this promise of the angel to Mary, all of God's promises, that thread that is woven throughout the whole of history is being drawn together, is being fulfilled to give forgiveness and restoration and peace and hope to the world. And this has been God's plan and purpose all along, to be fulfilled when the time was right. And so now, as Gabriel announces the birth of Jesus to Mary, God's promises are coming to fulfillment. His plan to bring one particular person into the world as his own representative, in fact, as more than that, to come into the world himself, God's plan is coming true in the life of this teenage girl in Israel for the sake of the whole world. Second, as we look at the promises given to Mary, we consider the miracle and the mystery of the incarnation. Miracle and mystery. They're not exactly the same thing. They're they're related to each other, but they're slightly different to each other. The miracle is that God will enfold himself in human flesh. The eternal second person of the Trinity will leave the relationship of the Trinity, come to earth. God the Son will enter into creation. And when you consider that as God does this, God himself becomes dependent and vulnerable and fragile. And God himself grows and develops. This is mind 
mind-boggling stuff. It's joyful stuff to consider the, the mystery and the miracle of the incarnation. But up to this point, everything had depended on God for its existence. God is the all-powerful one, the one who created everything and holds everything in being, but now God himself becomes dependent, vulnerable, fragile, becomes a cluster of cells within the womb of his mother, dependent on her for his nourishment, for his growth, for his development. This is such an amazing turnaround. This is the mystery of the incarnation. Now, a mystery is not something that cannot be explained. It's something that can be endlessly explored. So, we as um, Christians, we understand some parts of the mystery of the incarnation, but it's something that we can never get to the bottom of, that we can never get to the end of the wonder that God himself, the creator of the universe, would become a human being, would become dependent, vulnerable, fragile, and would rely on his mother for his own life. The miracle of the incarnation is connected, closely connected with the miracle of the virgin conception of Jesus. Now, here's where I think that the new atheists kind of strain at a gnat and swallow a camel. They go, oh, everyone knows that a virgin can't have a child. You know, we, we know better than that these days. We know that it takes a man and a woman. We're not so gullible as all that. Mary knew that. She said to the angel, how will this be because I am a virgin? You know, she knew how it worked, as did everyone in that day and age. Joseph knew that it took a man and a woman for a woman to become pregnant. That's why he was planning to call off the engagement quietly. But when the new atheists attack the miracle of the virgin conception of Jesus, they miss the bigger miracle of the incarnation. You see, for God who created galaxies and planets and stars and people, it seems to me to be a very small thing to create a sperm cell at the right moment and place in Mary's body for conception to happen. And yet the greater miracle is that God himself is actually coming into the world that he created, that the creator is entering into creation, that the one through whom all was made is now being formed and made as a human being himself. The word became flesh and dwelt amongst us, says John chapter 1. That is the miracle and mystery of the incarnation. I don't know if you have stopped to contemplate what it must have been like for Mary, because in a unique way, in a way that no one else could experience, she embodied and enfleshed and experienced the incarnation of Jesus. You know, um, many of you here um, are mums. Uh, put up your hand if you've had children. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> us, us blokes will never get to <laughs> experience anything like that. We get to see it from the outside. You know, we get to play poke and kick with the, the baby when, when the baby is a little bit bigger in the womb and that kind of thing. But Mary got to experience the Son of God growing inside her as a child, got to experience the first flutters of movement, those first kicks and, and 
movements that a baby makes. And mothers, the wonderment of that must be incredible when you feel life stirring inside you. I, I can't even begin to imagine what that is like. And yet for Mary, that must have been even so much more powerful because she knew that the one growing inside her was the eternal son of God. Um, there's a wonderful song which I'm going to play for you a little later called Mary Did You Know and one of the lines of that is uh, when you kiss your little baby you kiss the face of God and the sleeping child you're holding is the great I am and so Luke says that Mary took all these things and pondered them in her heart she experienced in a unique way the miracle and the mystery of the incarnation And I actually believe that in Luke's research, as he was preparing his gospel, that he talked to Mary and that Mary explained to him many of the things that are now written down for us in Holy Scripture through the power of the Holy Spirit. The incarnation means that God is with us, that God is not far away. Not like the Bette Midler song where we have God is watching us from a distance, No, Emmanuel means God with us. Jesus entering our dusty planet, taking on our humanity so that becoming our brother so that we might become the sons and daughters of God. That is the miracle and mystery of the incarnation. And finally, when we look at Mary, there's so much more that could be unfolded. But another thing that really comes through is the grace and the gentleness of God. You know, I... Those of you who are here for the Zechariah one, Gabriel gets a bit cross with Zechariah when he, when he asks about, you know, why, how will this be? You know, my wife is very old, I'm very old. I don't think it can happen. Gabriel goes, I am Gabriel and you're not going to be able to speak. Gabriel doesn't get cross with Mary. His message to her is gentle. He is graceful. And he actually says to Mary, greetings you who are highly favoured. Now, In the original language, the word highly favored means greetings to you who have been graced by God, you who are a recipient of God's grace. God lifts up the humble. Mary says this in her song, The Magnificat, in Luke chapter 1, verse 46 and 48. She says, God has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed, for the Mighty One has done great things for me. Holy is His name. His mercy extends to those who fear Him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with His arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. And as we see this exchange between Mary and Gabriel, I get the impression that God is waiting for Mary's yes to him. That God is not forcing himself upon her, but that he has chosen her and he is humbly waiting for her to say yes to being a part of his plan and his will. And Mary says, I am the Lord's servant. May it be to me as you have said. Here is the gentleness and the grace of God, not only to Mary, but also to us, that he would come to us in such a way 
that he risks rejection. That God risks by his grace and his gentleness that people can say no to him. And people actually do that sometimes, sadly. And so this Christmas, I pray that you will allow the humble, gentle, vulnerable, and fragile God to come into your life. I pray that this Christmas you'll be lowly and humble enough to accept his help and his presence. As the Christmas carol, uh, our little town of Bethlehem says, where meek souls will receive him still, the dear Christ enters in. May you know the wonder and the mystery and the miracle of the incarnation this Christmas. In Jesus' name, amen.